Why are we content to be comfortable? I'm a little sick of myself, actually, being so comfortable. I don't know about you. I don't know if I said that the right way. I don't know if you can receive it that way. But I'm a little tired of playing games with God and playing church. And Ephesians is all about that. And today's passage is really all about that. When I first read this passage, I thought, man, this is just like what he said before. But the more I dug into it, the more I realized what he was actually telling us. And then as I was open to listening and God started showing me different things from different people... Then I started realizing, oh, this is what he wants me to say. So I'm looking forward to giving this message, but not because, of, not because it's an enjoyable message or it might not even be encouraging in a positive way to you. It might be very convicting because it's convicting to me. But I pray that God will use it in your life. Amen? We just recently did the Passion Play, the Roman Road, Pilate's Journey to the Cross. And, and uh, I so enjoyed being part of that. And they had the... Uh, cast party uh, on Friday night. I didn't get to go. My son's getting married this coming week uh, on Friday, and uh, we had to go down to Lynchburg and do some stuff with him uh, this past weekend, and so I missed it. And, and, and but, it was, but it was a lot of fun, but I don't know if you realize it or not, but 29 people indicated that they prayed to receive Christ during that time. Amen. Uh, we got, I, I, I should have gone back and looked at the numbers again. We had about 10 people that said, I want to become a member of Calvary Baptist Church. And we had uh, in the teens people that wanted more information. And we've gone out looking and talking to all those folks. And so uh, I, I want you to understand that today God has given us a task. And, and I'm calling this sermon, you can go to the next slide if you want. I hope you're in open Ephesians chapter 3. That we are ministers... Of a revealed mystery. You and I are minister of a revealed mystery. I just came from our new members class. So I'm a little out of breath. I'm a little uh, already been talking today. And, and uh, we are. All of us in church are ministers. I am not the minister of Calvary. I'm the pastor of Calvary. Pastor is an office. It's a role that I, that I uh, occupy. But minister has to do with doing something. Okay, you know, some some preachers preach about it and some people do. I had a friend that had two sons and one was a preacher. And then I found out he had another son and his son that was a preacher was uh, was liberal and I uh, didn't really believe the Bible. And, and uh, I don't think that was his dad's fault, but that was the case. And I said, oh, is your other son a preacher? He said, no, I got one that preaches it, one that practices it. And he meant the one that wasn't a preacher was one that was practicing it. And the preacher wasn't doing much. So, so what you got to understand is as a pastor, I'm an administer. That means I organize the ministers. Yeah, y'all got to help me or it's going to be a long day. All right. Amen. I just want to make sure you're with me. So, so our job is to help us to equip the saints and to, to direct us in what we're supposed to be doing. But what we're supposed to be doing is communicating a mystery that has been revealed to us that is amazing. In fact, it impacts the spirit world and impacts eternity. And I want you to get a hold of that as we look at this together. So would you stand up with me? We're going to read the first ten chapters of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, first ten verses. For this reason, 
I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to us by his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. This ministry, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. You're an awesome, amazing, wonderful God. In fact, there is no other God but you. Certainly, there is no God like you. Satan tries to make himself a God. He has made very, uh, 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 multiple caricatures of himself that people worship. But God, there's only one true God. And that is Jehovah, Yahweh. The God of gods. The I am who I am. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, we thank you that you, the Son... In the Trinity have come and revealed the Father to us. By living here a perfect life and showing the Father to us. And now that you've gone, you've given us the Holy Spirit to be a presence and a comfort to us until you return. And Lord, we just love you. We thank you for that truth. And I pray right now we bind Satan and our enemy in the name of Jesus. And we pray, God, that you would open our eyes of understanding to behold wonderful things out of your word. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, our Redeemer, we ask that you rebuke our enemy and give us freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can sit down if you want to or if you can. If you want to stand up, that's fine. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. It's already up there. God has revealed the riches of his plan in order to spend its riches on the poor of this earth. Now, before we go on, I want to explain the poor to you just very briefly. Poor is not a monetary thing. It is a condition of humankind. All right? When I say the word poor today, I'm not talking about people that lack resources. I'm talking about people that lack God. Okay? And so the poor in our community, the poor in our city, the poor in our state, the poor in our country, the poor in our world are not people that lack resources. And giving them money will not help. In the 1960s, America started a program to bring people out of poverty. And we threw money at it. And we throw more money at it. And as it fails, we throw even more money at it. And today we have more poor people in America than we did when we started. Because the problem is not finances. The problem is spiritual condition. Okay? And once a man is saved, guess what? He'll help himself. God will begin to help him and he'll begin to grow and he will improve his station in life. We call it gospel lift. It happens on the mission field. It happens everywhere. In fact, two years after a person gets saved in North America especially, they don't know any lost people anymore. Because either the lost people have left them or they've led them to the Lord. Now, because a Christian doesn't run away from lost people, a Christian runs to lost people. 
Okay, good. You can agree with me even though you know you don't do it. I'm just saying. But that's just, that's what happens. We just start growing in the Lord and lots of people don't want to hang out because you're not doing what they were doing before. They, they want to do their own thing. They don't want to be bothered. They want to be their own God instead of serving God. And when you start serving God, they don't like hanging around you anymore. And I've seen that happen a lot. So I'm just saying that so you understand that what I'm talking about is not giving money to people that need it. Even though sometimes we do that, sometimes we help people and I'm not against that. But what I'm telling you is that our emphasis is to bring them the gospel, to bring them Jesus. And when we do that, God begins to help them. Now, I know people say God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. That's not true. God helps everybody. God helps all, the, all people. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. God's a gracious, generous God. But those who know him, somehow we become, because we're becoming more like Jesus. How can you become more like Jesus and live, uh, uh, you know, a life that's not worthy? Now, and again, I'm still not talking about money. Uh, listen, I've met Christians. I, I haven't had as many advantages, some in this room. But I've been in places where there were people, they didn't have you know, I, I forget all the expressions we might want to use, but they didn't have two pennies to rub together, but they were excited about the Lord. They were happy. They were living a full and meaningful life because they were serving God where they were. And so the goal of this life is not to get you rich, no matter what Benny Hinn or, or, or uh, 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 your best life now guy, whatever his name is, I can't think of his name. Thank you, Joel Osteen. No matter what those guys say, God didn't come to die to make you rich and wealthy and happy. He came to make you holy. And if you'll be holy, you'll be happy. If you'll do your duty, joy comes. But when you strive to be happy, you never will be. By the way, happiness is dependent on your circumstances. But the joy of the Lord comes when we do what God called us to do. And that's what I want you, part of what I want you to get today. So that's the statement. He's revealed his riches of his plan so that we will spend those riches on the poor of the earth, those who need to know him. All right, I hope you follow me on that. And uh, Anyway, let me just go on. And I want you to see in the first six verses that this mystery has been revealed. Paul considered himself to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He came late to the table, but we know the special calling on his life. And his whole life, it seems like there was a question about that because he always had to be telling people, no, I'm called to be the apostle of the Gentiles. And I know in Acts 2 or Acts 1, we find out that the disciples, they rolled some dice, said Matthias is the 12th apostle. And since Peter is Peter and Jesus told him he could do that, uh, officially, I guess that was the 12th apostle. But Paul's going, no, 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 they messed up. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the apostle because the gift of apostle is a very specific thing and it even no longer exists in our estimation. The closest thing we have to it is a missionary. An apostle starts a new work and Jesus had worked with these men in order that they might lay the groundwork of Christianity that the church upon which the church would be built. It tells us that in Corinthians, it tells us that in the Gospels, it tells us that everywhere. And th- that the foundation is laid by Christ, but it's laid on the foundation of the prophets of the Bible and the apostles of the New Testament. And the church is built on that. And Paul says in, in these first six verses that I am uh, the, the guy that is called to preach to the Gentiles. In fact, verse 2, he says, I'm assuming that you know the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. In other words, he's saying God controls grace. And the responsibility, I like the word steward. Do you know why? 
My name means keeper of the Lord's possessions. That's what a steward is. And so they change it to a T in case you ever write my name. It ends in a T, not a D. But it's the same word. And it means the keeper of God's possession. He says, and the possession God gave me to keep is that I go to the Gentiles. Why would God ask Paul to go to the Gentiles? Because he wasn't one. He was the exact opposite of a Gentile. In fact, in one of his books, he writes, I'm the Jew of Jews. He knew his tribe, he knew his family, he knew everything about being Jewish. He was one of the most trained rabbis of his day. And so God took him because the, the, what Paul is telling us here in the book of Ephesians is God wanted to use the guy that was most Jewish to tell all the Christians that you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. In fact, the oldest book in the New Testament, time-wise written, is the book of Galatians that lets us know that you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. You can be a Christian and jump Judaism altogether. But there's, an important, there's some important points to that, and that's the point Paul's making today. And so he says that I'm, uh, I have this stewardship. And the mystery, he says, has been made known to me by revelation. God called him to be apostle that he could reveal the will of God to people. And he could lay, help lay this foundational groundwork. But the mystery, if you look at verse 5, is wrapped up in Christ. In verse 4, Paul says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men, and was not made known, I'm sorry, to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed. Did the Old Testament prophets see the church? Yeah, they, they understood it. It's written in the Old Testament. He, God told Abraham when he called him, I will make of you many nations. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in you, Right? Right? Okay. So, through Abraham, the Jewish people were supposed to bring the knowledge of God to the world, but they failed in that. They did not do that. It was not that he was calling the Jews and he had to be a Jew to know God. It was the Jewish people were supposed to reveal God to the world. And in Abraham and his seed, all the nations of the earth were to be blessed. All the families were to be brought in. So these other generations, the Old Testament and those people, they saw it, but they didn't live it out. And it was not known. And that word is a word that means they were not made to understand. They didn't understand the church even though they wrote about it because they were writing the revelation of God. But the mystery is revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets. Notice uh, there in verse 6, this mystery is the Gentiles are fellow heirs. In verse 5 he says, it's now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Spirit revealed to the apostles that, oh, wait a minute, this isn't just for Jews. Now, listen, what I'm saying may not be making sense to you. Let me make another statement to help it make more sense. The early church, Acts 2, in the first couple of years, they thought it was only for Jews. If you're a Gentile, they didn't think you could come in. It is Acts 8 when the first almost not a Jew guy gets saved, they were Samaritans. They were half Jews. And Acts 10, chapter 10, is when Cornelius, an Italian guy, hey, I wanted Jesus. And he got saved. <laughs> now, if you're Italian, I hope I didn't offend you. I was just, I don't know. It just hit me. I had to do it. I'm sorry. And Cornelius gets saved of the Italian band, it said. And of course, Rome and Italian, you get it. 
That's what it took until Acts 10. But here's something interesting. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to Peter, You're Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church, and you'll be given the keys to the kingdom. At Acts 2, Peter preached, and the Holy Spirit fell on the Jews. In Acts 8, Peter runs into these Samaritans and tells them about Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes to them. And in Acts 10, God says to Cornelius, Send for Peter. Peter's at home taking a nap on the roof, and that's when he saw the vision of the pigs and the shrimp and the crabs and all the stuff we love to eat. And God said, rise, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, 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 I'm a Jew. I don't eat that stuff. And he said, what I made clean, don't you call it unclean. That's why I had bacon this morning. <laughs> and when Peter woke up, there was somebody knocking at the gate and said, hey, my boss sent me to get you. And he goes and he talks to a Gentile whom no Jew would have talked to. And he says, God has just shown me that this isn't just for Jews. And Cornelius gets saved, and the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. Peter unlocked the keys of the kingdom to all races in the book of Acts. Just want to make sure you saw that. That's what Jesus was talking about when he told him that. And so this mystery is revealed to the apostle and prophets by the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, here is the big reveal. Here is the main point. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, you may have heard preaching said, the Jews are Jews, and the church is a church, and then never the twain shall meet. But that is not New Testament. The New Testament said, in the church, he is making of all nations one body. Now, Jewish people can be saved, but they can join the church. It's not that we get saved and join the Jews. See, that's how, that's how they were confused. They were confused back in the book of Acts. And Paul is the guy, the Jew of Jews, got up and said, No, you got that wrong. And even Peter kind of staggered at it. And Paul says, I had to point my finger at Peter. He said, Come on, Peter. You know better than this. And Peter said, He's right. And he repented of it. And so the church made a declaration that a man does not have to become a Jew and, and observe Judaism to become a Christian to be saved. Because the Holy Spirit was given even to the Gentiles. And how can you argue with that? Was their argument. God chose them. And so the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're in the same body. They're partakers of the promise. Which promise? All of them. And I'm not going to ask you to turn. I'm going to show you something later. But turn back to the book of Galatians. Chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. This is the covenant of Abraham. And in case you don't understand it, Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant of Abraham. That a, that a man shall live by faith, and by faith in Christ we are saved. And in chapter 3 of Galatians, as Paul is explaining this in detail, go on this afternoon and read the book of Galatians, you'll get all the detail of this idea. In verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even in a man-made covenant, no one uh, annuls it or is able to... Uh, to it or adds to it once it has been ratified. In other words, once you make a covenant, that's it. A covenant's not a contract. There is no escape clause. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And he says, this is what I mean. 430 years after Abraham, God gave them the law. And that law does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God to make the promise void. 
For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer becomes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. God made a covenant with Abraham. And the offspring of Abraham that he's referring to is Jesus. And in Jesus, all the nations of the world can become the family of God. Are you with me? It's not for Jewish people. It's not for white people. It's not for black people. It's not for brown people. It's not for red people. It's not for yellow people. It's for all people. Forgive me for saying so. All lives matter. You with me? You may not like it, but that's what it says. The mystery has been revealed that all people are one body in Christ. And in fact, I mentioned all that to show you something at the end. Hang on there. Secondly, I want you to see that the mystery was made into a ministry. Look at verse 7 back in Ephesians 3. In verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. Oh, there it is. The mystery is made into a ministry. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace given me. We've already read it. The ministry is a given thing. We don't choose it. It's given by God. It's what we're supposed to do. He gave it to us. We don't go, hmm, what should we do with this? Hey, I know, let's tell everybody. No, God told us to tell everybody, right? Right? Matthew 28, Acts 1, uh, over and over and over and over over in the Bible. Paul considers himself, and I thought that was, was interesting. He says that God gave me this, though I am the very least of all the saints in verse 8. You see, when you become a minister for God, you start realizing that I'm not important, Jesus is. And Paul, who was probably, we call him the greatest Christian who ever lived, thought of himself as the least Christian who ever lived. That's not a false humility. He just knew where he came from, and he knew any good thing in him was a work of God in his life. And God can work well in your life, but don't go out and start thinking, oh, I'm important, or I'm great, or I did all this. No, God did something in you. And that's what Paul is letting us know here. And so his ministry is what God gave him to do. And it is working by God's power. He says, I'm the very, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, back up in verse 7. According to God's grace. Grace is another word for power. Which was given me by the working of his power. There he says it even more plainly. It is the working of God's grace, God's power in his life. To do what? Verse 8. Points it out. Here's the big deal in this section. To me, though, I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given. Why? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, in Paul's world, you only saw two quote unquote races Jew and everybody else. And Paul says, God has given me the job to preach to everybody else. Peter's got the Jewish thing going, but God sent me to talk to everybody else. And he's the most qualified because he is the most opposite of what God called him to do. Sometimes you think you've got to be just like everybody to tell them about Jesus. No. If you're saved, that's the qualification. If God puts somebody in front of you, you're supposed to tell them about Jesus. His job, Paul's job, was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Remember my statement? The mystery is revealed, his plan is revealed so that we spend God's riches on the poor of the world that need to hear it. You with me? And verse 8, that's where I'm getting that from. God came to earth 
Jesus came to earth. And the Holy Spirit now indwells man. Salvation is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. There's nothing you can do to gain it. That is a gift from God. And the seal of that gift, and it will be in this passage, we'll come back to it, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I'm preaching a bunch of Americans, and I'm an American. Born and will die that. However, in America, we are very individualistic. Now we're starting to lose that a little bit, but the older generation... They understand what I'm talking about. We, we, we just all think, all the men in here that are older, we think of ourselves as John Wayne. You know, we're Clint Eastwood. Oh, I'll tell you, pilgrim. Right? That's what we think. Go ahead, make my day. I don't, the Bible is written to the church. Not to the individuals. The church is made up of individuals. The Holy Spirit in, in, in dwells and empowers individuals. But we are a body. And the Holy Spirit indwells the church. So when there's a big disagreement in the church. Somebody's wrong. And it might be both of you. Because God. I, I love the passage where Joshua is thinking about. How are we going to take Jericho? And he looks up. Sees a flame, an angel with a sword in his hand says, Whoa, are you for us or for our enemies? He said, Neither. <laughs> I'm captain of God's army. Take off your shoes. And he's looking at Christ holding his sword, the word, sharper than any two-edged sword. And he said, Let me give you God's plan. You don't need your plan. You need mine. And God indwells the church. So as I read this, I want you to take it personally, but I want you to understand it in light of the church. That salvation is a gift to us for what purpose? In verse 8 he said that I can preach the riches of Christ to the Gentiles and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What are those riches of Christ? The Bible says he emptied himself of his riches to become one of us, to live in a human body on earth for 33 years and died having won the battle against sin, never sinning, having been tempted in all points like we are in this wilderness temptation. He was tempted every way Adam was, but he passed that test and he took that perfect body to a cross and there he died in our place so that God comes and lives in you. Now, I don't know anything richer than that. That's the riches of Christ. And I'm going to make even more about that in just a minute. And so, he brings, to bring the light of the plan of God to the world. That is the point of the ministry, mystery being made into a ministry. But I also want you to see that the mystery is administered through the church. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Wait a minute, I thought it was supposed to be made known to the lost people. It is. Let me, let me go through that real quickly. My version says manifold. I don't know what yours says. A manifold is not a part on a car, even though I'm sure the word relates. And I don't know enough about automotive stuff to, so somebody can tell me about it later. Manifold means multi, and in this particular use of the word, multicolored. 
wisdom of God. See, God don't have white children or black children or red children or yellow children or brown children. He just got children. And we're of every color, every stripe, every nationality. We're just children of God. And God in the church is taking Jews and Gentiles and every variety of those and making them one body. Wow. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. Because we got cultural differences. We got quote unquote racial differences. No, we don't. You either saved or you're lost. You either got one big problem, you're going to hell, or you got one big solution. Jesus died for me, and I've accepted that. I've responded to his invitation, and now I'm saved. That's your options. There's not a bunch of other options to make. And when we start seeing people as people, and those people as either been lost or saved, we're going to take care of a lot of problems that we talk about endlessly and never come to a solution. And in the church, we are all one, Right? But notice this. And by the way, it's the multicolored wisdom of God. I just love that. That's, it's, un, it's so cool. So that God's wisdom might be made known to the rules and authorities in heavenly places. You know what that means, literally? The rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God's showing his angels. Watch what I can do. This includes fallen angels. God's going, hey, Satan, you thought you were so smart? Watch this. I'm going to make a creature that is less powerful than you. And they, they're, so, they're going to do the same thing you did. They're so dumb. They're going, they're going, in pride, they're going to rebel against me. And I'm going to become one of them. And then you're going to hang me on a cross and you're going to think you won. I doubt God ever like, told him all this, but I'm just making a point. But I'm getting up. And when I get up, I will have won the right for my Holy Spirit to live in them. And they will have the unsearchable riches of heaven living in them. And that's my wisdom. You you angels, watch this. And the godly angels are doing this over the edge of heaven. Whoa, look what God can do. Gabriel, did you? Yeah, I know. I was the one that announced the marriage. I know, Gabriel, quit bragging. Come look, man. Isn't this awesome? Look at that church down there in Stanton, the Calvary. Look at all, look at all those saints. What God can do. And the demons are going, look at Calvary. I want to destroy that place. We're in the middle of a war. You better come May 5th and 6th. We're in the middle of a war of eternal consequences. And God did this. The church is not an end to itself. We are here to show the angels what God can do. What? (laughs) It's what it said. I didn't write it. I'm just delivering it. I'm just telling you that's what it says. That the reason we exist is to show that powers that are beyond what we can see, the heavenly powers, both fallen and still good angels, how cool God is. That's why we exist. That is the purpose of your life. That is the purpose of Calvary. That is the pur- of Calvary Baptist Church. That is the purpose for which we live. Now let me apply that very carefully. I know our time is late and I meant for all that to take 15 minutes, but I got excited. 
I want to apply the mystery. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I hope I said that right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Yes, I did. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Begin at verse 20, even though the first 19 verses are pretty awesome too. Look at verse 20. He's talking about Christ in verse 4. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. First of all, what does all mean? All means all. That's all all means. The Greek word for all means all. There's no other definition. What are the promises of God? Like the Old Testament? All. Who is him in that verse? Jesus. And Jesus, he brought about from Genesis to Revelation all the promises of God as a yes to the church. They're all ours. They belong to us now. So when he said, I'll be their God and they shall be my people. When he says, I will never leave them or forsake them. When he says that I will protect you and I will be with you even in the darkest days. In the valley of the shadow of death and the toughest times. And even when you're being killed by those who hate me, I will be with you and I will be your God. And I will take care of you and I will comfort you and I will be your shepherd. As many as may be the promises of God in him, they are yes. Verse 21, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us, there it is, his spirit as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming into Corinth. He goes on. But verse 22, the spirit is given as the seal of that promise. Here's what I'm saying. If you're saved, God's put the Holy Spirit in you to seal you in the promise, but to bring the riches of heaven into your life. And again, I'm not talking about bank accounts and nice cars. I'm talking about the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11, lives in you. If that wasn't enough, look in Matthew chapter 25. God established us in Christ. I mean, as you're going there, God anointed us in Christ. God puts a seal on us and he gives us his spirit as a guarantee. Now, we're responsible for what we do with what God has deposited in us. Would you agree with that? Oh, you might ought to hold off on that even though you're right. Because now you've acknowledged, you understand what I'm about to read. In Matthew 25, 14, Jesus said, and I don't have time to read it all the time, it's getting away. So let me just say this, it's the parable of the talents. He gave one guy five, one guy two, and one guy one. He's telling a story. He says, then the master goes away, and he was gone a long time. And the guy that got five invested it, he used it, he got five more. The guy that got two, he invested, he used it, he got two more. The guy that got one said, I'm scared, I don't want to lose his money, and he hid it. And then after a long time, 
Jesus came back. And he said, what'd you do with what I gave you? And the guy said, had five, said, hey, look, I invested it. I worked it, traded with it. I got you five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. How about you, buddy, with two? Hey, just like the one with five, I didn't have as much as him, but I invested what you gave me. And I brought you two. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of thy Lord. Just because he was only given two, he didn't get a less reward than the guy who earned five. Because he did what he could with what he had. And God said, good job. And now we come to the sad part of the story. Verse 24. He, who also, he also who had received one talent came forward and said, Master... I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. Gathering where you scattered no seed. Does that sound like something God could do? Does that sound like something God could do? So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Oh, we got to protect what God gave us. We don't want to waste it. Here's what is yours. And the master said, you wicked and slothful servant. There are a lot of people that are looking forward to hearing God say, well done, good and faithful servant. There are churches that are hoping to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And what they're going to hear is, you wicked, lazy person, you go to hell. I told you I wasn't looking forward to saying this today. If you knew that I had not sown and yet I gathered, if you knew... That I could do what I can do. Then that ought to have motivated you. To use what I gave you. To at least make an attempt. To add to what I gave you. And since you didn't even try. I'm going to take your one and give it to one of the faithful ones. And you can be cast into outer darkness. The day of accounting all ways comes judgment's coming folks I just yesterday watched a film clip of Francis Chan speaking he's a famous author if you don't know who he is and a preacher and he said if you don't think judgment's in the Bible he said read page two they're thrown out of the garden read the next few pages God kills everybody in the earth Read the Exodus, the earth's opening up, swallowing people alive. He said, and you say, well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, God mellows out in the book of Revelation. (laughs) There's a day coming, ladies and gentlemen, where we will stand before God and he'll say, I gave you the Holy Spirit. I came and lived with you. What'd you do with that? Well, I try to protect it. The mystery is we all receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't need our protection. He needs to be released. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit. What do we do with that powerful enabling? The Holy Spirit will only come where there's room made for Him. And as long as we got our own programs and our own ideas and our own agendas and our own desires and our own wants and our own needs, we go, okay. 
If you just skim off the top, I'll fill you back up, but that's all you get. But if you'll empty yourself, I'll fill your whole cup with me. I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of giving God the leftovers. How about you? Usually I give you a couple of things you could do. I'm going to give you some questions to ask yourself, and I'll let you do them. Where's your talent? Did God give you five or two or one or ten? Let me just tell you, if you're saved, he didn't give you none. He gave you something. Secondly, how are you investing in your talent? Are you investing it in a place that will produce fruit for the kingdom? And thirdly, what promises are you going to claim this week? Psalm 2 is a good one. He promised Jesus that he would give the nations to him. Are you claiming the promise that God will use you to see people in Turkey or Russia or Israel or a nation in Africa or a nation in the Far East or a nation in South America or maybe your neighbor come to Christ? It is a promise in the Bible. Why don't we claim it? Why don't we live on it? Why don't we say, God, you could use Calvary to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are willing.